after diagnosis, it was honestly more complicated because I knew and because it was this secret that I was like keeping locked inside away from the world. Um, and yeah, just living in like constant fear that somebody would, if I was trying to get intimate with somebody that like they would feel me down there and realize that it felt different, like even through my physical therapy, I, even when it started to take more of a normal typical vagina length or shape, I was just still living in constant fear that someone would find out. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things real talk and conscious conversations about shit that really fucking matters. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, mindset coach, actor, and truth teller extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought to help you face your fears, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. Today, I have like such a special guest because not only have we never talked about this topic on the podcast ever before, but this is also happens to be one of my like oldest friends, which I think is how long have we known each other now? I've been trying to rack my brain as we were like getting ready to record this. I was like, how long has it actually been? Because we met in what, 2000 and. Seven, 2000 years. Yeah. Too long. Long time. <laughs> um, we feel so old. We are old. We're officially <laughs> old. Um, and I've witnessed this human grow up, you know, and I, I remember when you first publicly started talking about what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was so proud of you. I'm going to cry so much today. I have a feeling, but I remember I was just so proud of you because, you know, this part of your story has been something that I know up until recently was kept very private and Mm -hmm. held very close to your chest. And, you know, we can talk about my interaction with you in this space, like when I first found out, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just really proud of you for starting to share your story and, I also feel like it's like reconnected us in a really cool way too, which I love. And um, not that you ever like weren't in my life because I I feel like, you know, we've gone in like waves as Mm -hmm. our friendship has evolved, but um, you've just remained such a vibrant star and like shining light in my world since I've known you. And like, I've just always considered you one of my closest friends and I'm just really, really honored, frankly, to have you on the podcast today. So welcome, welcome. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> it like the sentiment honestly is reciprocated a hundred percent. That's always how I felt about it, even if distance or time goes for any length. That's yeah. I think a gift of social media, as much as some of it sometimes is such a pain point for people. I think yeah. it's also a gift that's like given me the ability to see into your life and yeah. be proud of you as it's gone along so it's I've never felt disconnected you know totally and I also feel like you know there's those few few people in your life who you know time can go by but when you get together or talk it feels like no time has passed you know Mm -hmm. like that's how I've always felt with you and so it's it's been really cool to you know have those reconnect moments and be like I feel like it's just yesterday we were singing at the top of my lungs in my car like to show yeah. tunes being big weirdos in high school yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay well let's get into it so you're here to talk about and I don't even know like I know it's short short form is M R K H is that mm-hmm. is there like because like, Braca similar but and I call it Braca okay. like do you call it like Merca or is it just no. Honestly, I never have. Okay. I am oh, just adjusting my microphone. Give me one second. There we go. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Okay, perfect. Um, I've only ever called it MRKH, but I kind of love Merca. Merca. I know. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's like a Braca situation, you know? I think it should be. Yeah. And, and it's short for, do you have the long? Yes. It's like, I looked it up and I was like, this is very intense. It is. Honestly, I write it down every single time I need to say it properly. So Smart. I have it written down in yeah. front of me. Yeah. It's the four doctors who discovered it originally. Okay. Okay. So it's Meyer, Rokentansky, Kuster, Hauser syndrome. Wow. Oh, it's a mouthful. Yeah. 
And no right? wonder you can't say that at the top of your tongue, tip of your tongue yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you discovered that this was something you were navigating when you mm-hmm. were 20? Was it when exactly? I was 20? Yeah. Okay. So 11 years ago. So walk me through what led up to, because I was very intensely in your life, like at that mm-hmm. time, like walk me through what led up to you even going to your gynecologist and like getting the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about what it is afterwards. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. So leading up to it where a lot of people, women discover that they have this syndrome is usually at the lack of a period. Yeah when you don't get a period. And so for me, because my doctor was not super present, she wasn't honestly like very on top of it, Mm -hmm. um, which is why it took so long for me to really investigate it further. Um, But when I first was noticing like 15, 16, don't have a period, we would go to the doctor and my doctor's answer always was just, which rightfully so, my mom didn't get her period until she was 19. Mm. So my doctor just kept saying, oh, we'll wait. Like some people get it later. Yeah, genetically or whatever. Exactly. Like, let's see what happens. And then I got to 20 and finally my doctor was like, okay, like this is a lot later. Like we should probably be figuring out what's going on. So first it was uh, two different ultrasounds to see if there was anything that they could see down there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then an MRI, uh, two different specialists. And still at this point, nobody had an answer. Um, And then finally I saw the gynecologist who diagnosed me with MRKH syndrome. But I would say that that process took months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds really frustrating was exceptionally frustrating and super isolating too because you know the entire time that there's something off yeah and it's just like waiting for this impending doom doom. yeah Yeah. well it's like why are these people who are supposed to know about this like why are they coming up with no answers that Mm -hmm. must have been really frustrating totally and something that will give a little clue into what MRKH is, but I knew for sure at that point that there was something physically a giant sign for me. So I didn't have a normal vagina opening yeah. like anybody else. My vagina was only like two to three centimeters deep. When did you first realize that? Honestly, not until probably I was like, 17 ish actually you know what it was so I my mom would buy like pads and tampons just to have in case I got my period and I remember one time I was like so confused didn't know what was happening so I like went into my bathroom and took a tampon and like Like, I'm gonna figure this out Yeah. yeah I was like I'm just gonna like put it up there and see what happens yeah yeah and I couldn't it hurt And it wouldn't go in, but I was so embarrassed about that. I was like, we're just not going to touch it. Like, I'm going to leave that alone. Don't say anything to anybody. And so I knew at that point that there was something up. Yeah. But didn't, like, I didn't ever think that it would be a life-changing diagnosis. Totally. You know, it's interesting because as you're talking I remember, and we'll get to what it is in a second, but Mm -hmm. I remember you telling me that something was off, like, and you weren't really sure what, Mm -hmm. but I remember you being like, yeah, I don't get a period, and, you know, I think it's just because I was so active so long, and sometimes, like, you know, when you're, like, super active and, like, you know, because you did figure skating for a long time, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and you were like, You were like, I just think that's part of it, you know, like sometimes athletes don't get, you know, and then you danced Mm -hmm. and did theater and like all these things. So you were like, and then I remember you being like, sex is weird. I remember you said that to me and I was like, well, yeah, it's weird. And you were like, no, like it's weird for me. Like it's not really a thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand it because I think you didn't understand it and didn't have the, the like language around it, which, you know, at the end of the day, if we don't have the language around something like. I think that, you know, I imagine that not knowing, not only knowing, not knowing what was going on, but not being able to even be told what was going on by somebody and have the language around it, like, 
you say isolating, like I imagine that was debilitating. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I like since have thought so, so much about what my reality was back then having more knowing now. And it honestly feels like the essence of like who I was, like who I am as a person and how I show up now again, I think was trapped in a cage inside of this shell of a person that I created to not have to let people in. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about what MRKH syndrome is. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So MRKH is a rare congenital disorder. And so essentially what that means is it's acquired during development and present at birth. And MRKH affects one in 5,000 females. And essentially what it is, is it affects the development of the reproductive system. And so that's vagina, cervix, uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries. And it either only partially develops or it doesn't develop at all. So that's the other thing that's so interesting about MRKH is every single person who is diagnosed with it has a, has a experience exactly wow so yeah. and is this, this is genetic this happens from a genetic standpoint no no so they this is the other thing which was really hard to wrap my brain around is there's no it's known just a, like cause. weird chance yeah interesting mm-hmm. and the other reason why it makes it so difficult to diagnose is because you still have the female chromosomes so all secondary- it's not like an androgynous ex- exactly thing. yeah yeah so all like external genitalia and secondary sexual characteristics so like pubic hair boobs yeah. everything appears on the outside as like typical okay so we're gonna get into the like the nitty-gritty here. oh girl yeah so <laughs> what has been your experience with this syndrome like did you mm-hmm. have like none did you do you have like partial like how did that go for you Yeah. So there are also, I'll get into mine quickly. There are two, even two types of MRKH. Oh shit. Kind of like BRCA. So weird how the parallel. Yeah. There's a BRCA. I mean, it is a genetic thing though, but it's BRCA1 and BRCA2 and they impact the percentage of risk from a breast and ovarian cancer standpoint in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Crazy. Yeah. MRKH1 is what I have, which is the either lack of or absence of the reproductive system down there or two then also can affect internal organs and the skeleton so a lot of people who have mrkh2 are missing a kidney and then have i know blown i know know you love science so (laughs) what (laughs) my whole brain just went explosion okay wow isn't it fascinating though when you think about that like everything is happening in this like pelvic area so in development in the womb there is just something that stunts yeah the development fascinating yeah okay so from yeah like I cannot wait for years down the road that like money is being raised and they can figure out why yes yeah like let's give some reason here let's let's get some understanding Ugh, that would be so frustrating okay so you're mrkh1 Mm -hmm. So I do not have a uterus or fallopian tubes or a cervix. And my vaginal opening was about, like I said, two to three centimeters long. Okay. So they, my gynecologist called it a dimple. Fun, fun term. Right. Love that for you. (laughs) Thanks for that, gyne. (laughs) What a choice of word. Okay. So to clarify I mm-hmm. I imagine then that means that you have the ability not that you do not have the ability to have kids if you wanted to. No, could not carry my own kids. We'll never yeah. have a menstrual cycle period mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. What about intercourse like from a penetrative standpoint? Yes, I love that you asked that. That was the that for my diagnosis was the biggest shame spot for me. I like as a person never 
imagine kids in my future it was always like oh maybe later if I feel like it but it's not totally for me so that wasn't crippling um but the I was 20 I was at the end of my second year of college I was going into my third year of college um uh there's it's I'm so happy that younger people are using their voices now to express the fact that losing your virginity and intercourse is not just not the P parallel. and the V. Thank you. It's yes. like, that's not a but reality that's what at we're, all. We're taught, you know, yeah. that's what it is to have, even just not even losing your virginity, but that's what sex is. Exactly. Is when a penis enters a vagina and yeah. it's like, well, first of all, like what about people who are not penis owners Yeah, and having, you know, sex together? And second of all, like, does that remove any intimacy or level of sex when it comes to any other type of, you know, action? Because fuck that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's like that was the definition of intimacy at that point in the public's eye. And Mm -hmm. also, put up on a pedestal by everybody especially at that age so it was I was filled with so much shame that one I couldn't do this thing that everybody takes for granted and celebrates and talks about and also that just living in constant fear that I would have to share that with someone yeah so how did that go like in your teenhood and like early 20s while you were in high school and college like I I know you were in relationships and they Mm -hmm. were with men so like how did did you just not have intimacy in that way like did how did that so I yeah so I wouldn't like in high school with my high school boyfriend like we never attempted to have sex so that didn't come up and I think with fingering like you only know what you've experienced yeah for sure so like the clit is working on the outside so that from a pleasure standpoint I was gonna ask you so that's totally Mm -hmm. like they're fine works all that good stuff I mean that's the best part of sex (laughs) let's be honest true though (laughs) I mean I think (laughs) other people might have other perspectives but like that's that's where I prefer to be anyways me too (laughs) so that was working yeah so I was like and also you hear that sex is painful your first time hurts right and so you're like that makes sense this would feel uncomfortable yeah exactly so I didn't really flag it I remember trying to have sex with my college boyfriend before I knew about it and it wasn't working because of that but we didn't really it was so awkward we didn't know why talk about it yeah like just kind of like moved on and never Mm. brought it up again um so yeah for before and then afterward after diagnosis it was honestly more complicated because I knew and because it was this secret that I was like keeping locked inside away from the world yeah um and yeah just living in like constant fear that somebody would if I was trying to get intimate with somebody that like they would feel me down there and realize that it felt different like even through my physical therapy I even when it started to take more of a normal typical vagina length or shape yeah. I was just still living in constant fear that someone would feel find weird out. about it so can you talk more about yeah. that so there was there's physical therapy attached to mm-hmm. your diagnosis yeah there was so in usually there are two different options if you want to have a typical length vagina after being diagnosed and you don't have one there to begin with Mm -hmm. Um, and it is either surgery or like physical therapy like I did in Canada the surgeries are not allowed so it wasn't an option okay Um, so with physical therapy you are doing dilating And so for anybody who doesn't know what dilating is, my dilation kit, also now I think back and I'm like, I could have been dilating with a dildo, but instead I was dilating with with like a cold clinical kit. And honestly, they look like, they looked like 
like candlesticks, like rounded end candlesticks. And they were like this like off white color. It was just like so cold. So not sexy. Yeah. No. Yeah. And like they start small. Can we at least bedazzle it? Like, let's make it cute. (laughs) Yeah. Put a little smiley face on there or something. Oh my gosh. So how long did it take you from a like physical therapy standpoint Mm -hmm. to get to like where you were wanting to be? That's a great question because it was super complicated mentally on my mental health. So with the dilating, you start small and it the like as any able vagina or typically typical length vagina like that space stretches Mm -hmm. and is quite malleable. And so that's what the tissue consistency was down there still. So you would push with this blunted candlestick thing into the dimple (laughs) and just push as hard as you can and just hold it there. And you're supposed to hold it there for half an hour so that it will like, it hurts so much. And that was the thing is I was in this by myself this like shame spiral constantly like that sounds awful it was terrible because every time I would do it I would be thinking how much it hurts and the pain would remind me like I wasn't like anybody else and then I would shame myself in this shame spiral and say if you started your physical therapy three months ago you would be done by now but I didn't like doing it because of all of the feelings it brought up. So yeah. it was just this like perpetuated Sounds situation. Sounds like a cycle of pain, really. It was awful. So it took, honestly, I don't even know. I think probably like it was mixed in with like some doing the dilating work, some attempting to have sex, which is its own form of dilating, like eight months maybe. And this was attempting to have sex with another partner? Mm-hmm. How was that experience? terrible yeah Mm -hmm. I again look back on it and I realize how disconnected I was from that relationship like I just had built this huge wall of not letting the other person in and honestly in this particular relationship I never told them about it yeah and you knew at this point yeah wow Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's it's tough. crazy when you look back and some of the things that you do to protect yourself or what you think you need to be doing to protect well, totally. yourself. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes complete sense. Our brains are wired to want to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves comfortable. And yeah. when you hold shame, especially shame, I mean, shame is one of the hardest oh. emotions to navigate, you know, and it sits in your body in such massive ways that like for years, I, I mean, it can mm-hmm. take so much work to unpack that and to like move through it so all of that combined especially when it has to do with like your what we are taught as women is like where we hold power and where we hold worth and Mm -hmm. I mean it's such a pleasure I mean there's so much there yeah like uh it yeah I, I I understand the the desire to hold that close to your chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. That sounds really hard. Yeah. It was really hard. So, cause you're in a very healthy and long-term relationship now. Mm -hmm. How was the process of sharing, you know, this part of your life with him and like, were you at, by that point, were you, were you in a place where you could have penetrative sex? Like relatively simply. Okay. Yes. Actually, I have a funny story. This came up literally this week. I remember because I was saying to Dylan, who my partner, that um, talking about those first relationships, because we were talking about MRKH and I was like, oh, I never like there are people who I've never told who I was with. And yeah. he he did comment on the fact that the first. Oh, sorry, family, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um <laughs> this time maybe mute the next five minutes (laughs) yeah right (laughs) Dylan's mom if you're listening (laughs) turn it off (laughs) every time I do podcasts I'm like mom 
just don't listen or just yeah. know that you're not going to be happy with what you hear. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to say. You know that I'm always TMI. Like, it's just what happens on the podcast. It's true, though. I know. <laughs> oh, he was telling me, he was like, oh, no, but like, on when he first fingered me, he knew immediately. He was like, he recognized that I didn't have a cervix, which I found fascinating. How? Because I have no idea. Like, you can't, it, I don't know. You, It just, like, ends. It's just this, like, little squishy Stops. end. Stops, yeah, instead of going into, like, a, mm-hmm. yeah, I got you. And so I thought that that was interesting, interesting. that that came up. But by the time that I told um, Dylan about it, I was more comfortable like I was further along in my journey of not holding it quite as close to my chest and being fearful of other people's reaction and I trusted him which was huge totally so yeah I'm glad that like you've gotten to that place because but even then like there's still so much that's outside of that component Mm-hmm. that plays a role like I you know and not to draw a comparison because they are night and day different but you know so many people ask me in navigating like my diagnosis with BRCA like mm-hmm. oh well you must feel so much relief now that you've had your double mastectomy and like your risk of getting breast breast cancer is gone I'm like well yes that is definitely relief inducing mm-hmm. and you know and there's a lot of stuff around that from a trauma standpoint. Like, I have no feeling in my breasts. There's a whole stuff of, like, navigating my sexuality wow. attached to that. But on top of that, you know, there's the whole ovarian cancer piece that is, like, <laughs> breathing down my neck where yeah. I have to have my ovaries and <clears throat> removed by the time I'm 35 and potentially go and have, like, a full hysterectomy potentially and go through menopause, you know, by the time I'm 35. And – that's one thing, not to mention, like, if I want kids, there's the yeah. whole ethical conundrum of, you know, <clears throat> genetically passing them on. And, you know, I'm, I've am i never, like, I'm like you, like, I thought I wanted kids for sure when I was younger, but I've been in a place for a while where I'm like, I don't think I do. And yeah, that feels pretty strong. But mm. still, just the fact that, like, that decision is no longer really a decision anymore. Like, you know, I was, I was thinking about, I was, I was watching this really great show, actually, called Couples Therapy on Amazon okay. Prime. And one of the couples um, is like a a cis female and a trans woman. And they were talking about wanting to get pregnant and how, you know, the the cis female was talking about how she's mourning the fact that she cannot get pregnant the traditional way, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the fact that you just try. Yeah. And, you know, I've decided and knew from the minute that I found out about my diagnosis that if I were to want to get pregnant, I would not go the just traditional route and and hope that they didn't have the gene that I would go through the process of IVF. And, you know, I mean, that's hard in and of itself, right? But like, so I, I don't have that choice either, you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's one thing when you don't want it and you're like actively choosing it. And then it's another thing when it gets to be not a choice where mm-hmm. that choice is removed from you. And I know you said earlier that that wasn't a thing, but now that you've been in a significant relationship for a few years and are, you know, in your thir- early thirties, like me, like how has that diagnosis impacted your feelings around, you know, the potential or non-potential of motherhood and like that whole piece yeah. of your life? Yeah, no, it's such what you said about choices. That's what's so powerful and heartbreaking about it. Where in theory, when you, when, until choice in that magnitude is taken away, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And it, it, at the beginning, like when I was 20, and I think I was protecting myself by even saying like, oh, I didn't want them anyway. It was so much easier just to like brush that off. Yeah. But definitely as I started to get older, it those feelings started to bubble back up because that's exactly what it was. Is like, even if I wanted it, it I did not have the choice. Like yeah. it was taken away from me and the option wasn't even there, which even if you didn't want kids not having the option makes you think about it. Totally. And so I I remember when my girlfriends from dance, two of them got pregnant 
and I so happy for them, of course, but I got home after one of their baby showers and I walked in the front door of our apartment and I burst into tears. Yeah. Because it was the first time really seeing it and being not 20 and being a little bit older and just thinking about this process and gift as so many people view it and this like really special human connection that I would never have the opportunity of and it's since especially in like my relationship now as it's my current one has brought has been something that we have talked about absolutely and it's actually brought up a lot of really empowering and interesting conversations Mm. around nature versus nurture because there are so like I look like my mom and I have the same quirks as my mom does and how my mannerisms are. And I love that relationship between parents and children. But I think so much of that is nurture, Mm -hmm. you know, like Dylan and I could give, if we chose in 10 years, a child who otherwise wouldn't have a home, a loving home. And it's not in our genes that that child would be, awesome or maybe it is <laughs> yeah but it's like would be in the way that they were raised and the love that they were given and yeah. so that has been a really like interesting and inspiring um that's so interesting that that's been a part of your journey because it's also been a part of mine like talking yeah. about that in an open way because I think I you know I had never had a reason to talk about that or thought mm-hmm. really about it and when I was diagnosed with Brock I was like oh like how would you feel about this? And previously, like Kevin had been pretty like, not really for kids, but like if he were, it was like, I would do it because it would be our kid. And then that when that was off the table, I was like, oh, you'd be out, you know? And he was like, actually, like, I might be really in, you know? And we had like a really open discussion and open doors to conversations that, like you said, like I had no concept that we would ever talk about. And it was really amazing. So that's beautiful. I love hearing that. Um, I am curious because I feel like so often when, you know, you hear about diagnoses that can, um, be challenging to navigate to say the Mm -hmm. very least, we so often see, and often as humans who are experiencing it firsthand, focus on the negatives, focus on Mm -hmm. the really challenging components of it. And I know you to be somebody who usually sees like the positive Mm -hmm. and is like very like optimistic, like silver lining so I'm curious in your you know 10 plus years of navigating this like what has it gifted your life oh it's such a loaded question which I will absolutely unload um it has gifted honestly I think that MRKH has gifted me my why uh, being on this planet um, in a really ugly roundabout way. So when I was diagnosed, <clears throat> I completely I disassociated from my body because I didn't want to be a part of this new thing. And so in doing that, I was just trying to do and it's honestly as it was happening in the moment it's not something you ever realize but it's the ability to look back and actually see the journey for what it was where I was like oh this is what was happening to me at that point so I ran just like completely ran away from my body which disconnected my mind and my soul and that whole trifecta connection and I ran straight into heavily drinking and partying and really bad substance abuse. And so with MRKH, it has gifted me a life, honestly, of addiction that I'm clean now, but I really struggled with in my earlier 20s, um, which is scary because it never goes away. But the person who I show up as today, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't 
have the ability to go into that darkness, understand it, get through it, mm-hmm. and find my light in there. I love that you said that because I feel like, you know, so much of spirituality work, but also just generally speaking, I think any trauma work or navigating mm-hmm. through finding your true self involves taking a really close look at the shadow and the dark. Yeah. And it's what we run away from looking at that head on because it's scary. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to see ourselves as that. Um, but I think why so many people don't really excel and and take stock of themselves and build a big muscle of self-awareness until they hit rock bottom is because mm-hmm. of that very thing. And that has been my own personal experience too is like this is a whole slew of addictions in my early 20s until I hit rock bottom and I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. And I'm like sobbing on my bathroom floor like most days. Like I can't do this anymore. Like something has to change and like flipping that switch, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think we have to get to rock bottom, but I love what you said about like moving through the darkness so you can find your light. And I hope that anyone who's listening who is in a dark period, which I think a lot of us are right now given yeah. the state of the world, like that you can – find some solace and peace in the fact that like actually sitting in that and and coming face to face with your demons and your darkness and the things that you feel shame around and guilt about Mm -hmm. and um, that you may not like about yourself like that is actually what's going to lead you to this path of joy and freedom and liberation which is so amazing to witness and exist in and like as someone who's been on the darkness like let me tell you the other side is amazing and like I hope you all all manage to like wade through the muck to get there Mm -hmm. you know yeah a hundred percent I love what you said about self-awareness too because I think in being in that really dark and from my experience I internalized everything like as a person that is my crutch is I prefer to deal with everything on my own and not let other people in and so Mm. having to come face to face with it started that self-awareness development and like even if like you said well so even just dealing with a pandemic we're all in a shade of darkness right now you know that's like unlike anything a lot of us have experienced in this capacity yeah but it for me because I didn't want to let anybody in even just starting to have those conversations with myself helped yeah and through like journaling or just like asking yourself the hard questions and not being afraid of judgment of what other people will think your answer is because it's like only you in that notebook Mm -hmm. totally is the best yeah I agree I'm curious like you've obviously been sitting with this diagnosis for a while and I know you obviously like went through your, your muck years, but I'm curious Mm -hmm. what gave you the courage to start openly talking about it? Because I know like we've talked about doing this podcast for a while and you've kind of like blown me off a few times because I think you weren't ready and that's totally fine. But I feel like the last six months I've really witnessed you like some kind of thing that was clouded over you that was like Mm -hmm. inhibiting you from really speaking your voice around this seems to have lifted I'm curious like what shifted yeah it I definitely feel that shift in myself too and 100% I often will think about especially leading up to today to this recording if I would have recorded the podcast with you like two years ago when you first asked and I 100% I can't even imagine it because I wasn't ready. Like, just yeah. like you said. And you knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in my journey from coming from the mucky years, it started to where I am now, started with being able to get back in my own body and feel safe in myself again and be mm-hmm. able to trust and be present and feel whole again was the first step of it. And that 100% started to happen for me through finding dance again and finding movement because movement is so powerful, so powerful. Um, And then from honestly, from being back in my body, that's when the 
I could feel like mental resilience and grit and perseverance come back in a way Mm -hmm. that was really quiet and internalized at first where I felt called to share and I knew I wanted to, but I didn't have the courage to speak up yet. So I think that was the like gathering the strength until like the last six months ish. Yeah. I think it's amazing and I'm excited to see where that continues and how you continue to share your story both in in this way and in all the ways I know you will because your voice matters so thank you Mm -hmm. I'm really excited it's exciting it's exciting okay we always do this with new peeps that come on the pod and we do like fast fun questions at the end are you ready oh I'm so ready get lit okay okay (laughs) (laughs) okay biggest lesson this pandemic has taught you you are not your job mm, and your more. worth is not determined by your job. Say your more title. about that. I love that. No one said that before. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so I, I'll try to do like Cole's notes for these like fast and furious. I love that you say Cole's notes. I love you so much. So this is, I say this on the podcast all the time and people are like, Amanda, it's fucking Cliff's notes because it's Cliff's notes no, it's- in, in the U.S. And I'm like, it's Cole's notes and it started in Canada. And I had this fight with Kevin because he was like, no, it did not start in Canada. I was like, fucking, we're going to look it up. And we did. And guess what? It started in Canada as Cole's notes. And then America appropriated Cliff's notes and changed the thing. Anyways. So yes, you tell Cole's notes, put those (laughs) Cole's notes out there. Oh my God. Put him on the phone. It's Cole's notes. (laughs) um it so with the pandemic my job that I was at last year uh which like coming from theater and then deciding to leave for stability I found myself working at SoulCycle and my worked my way up there which I think was super attractive to um self-worth and confidence and validation in a way that I hadn't experienced it before Um, And it was all external coming inward, not like intrinsic. And so (laughs) I held on to that and it, I held on to that and it just became my life, which I gained so much from that time. But it was when that job just like fell out from under me last year. um, And that I started to, I was like, no, there's then what? Like I'm sitting here now and I gave all of this to something that isn't my dream. Mm-hmm. And I, it's actually, it's been in writing bios lately, but it's been a really big thing for me because I always remember and I read so many bios where people will say, and like, if you have a career that lights you the fuck up and you are proud of and you feel like it's a part of you, like fucking shout that Go from the yeah. But if you're, but if it, if it's not serving that right feeling purpose, like I would always write a bio and it would be like, Oh, Kylie and studio manager in Toronto. And recently I was like, no, like if everything collapsed around me today, like who am I? Like, what do I like? Who am I? I think that's such a huge thing. I've talked about this for so long too, where I hate it when we meet people for the first time, it's like, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, what do you do? That's the first question we ask people as if that embodies their identity. And I always ask like, what do you, what do you like? Like what lights you up? That's what I always ask now. And it always throws people off. (laughs) They're like, oh, I I don't know how to answer uh, this. Yeah. uh, (laughs) My job. (laughs) So I'm a doctor. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I think we need to start separating our identity from our work selves. Um, even if sometimes our work selves can be us in a lot of ways, like yeah. what I do. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm a storyteller. Like I'm not a podcast host or an author or a coach. Like mm-hmm. I'm a storyteller and a facilitator oh, and like that. that's what feels aligned. So, okay. Love that. Next one. Something you would tell your 20 something year old self. Get a therapist. <laughs> finger points (laughs) no but if if yeah I stand by that get a therapist but also like don't internalize and deal with everything on your own find people who feel safe and Mm -hmm. that you can trust and know that 
however bad it ever you ever think it's going to be when you're imagining how the conversation is going to go that is your fear keeping it so that you are stunting your own progression in life mm. and when you speak it you take away its power Ooh, yes can you say that again when you speak it you take away its power yeah. fuck yeah when yes. you like speak it out loud take away its power I've named the like really awful inner critic in my head rude Rhonda (laughs) I love that mine's Janine oh yeah she comes up in the book a lot she she and I have we go way back we have some words for each other yeah I bet but when you like speak it out loud if you're like Rhonda you're being a bitch I know that I don't look fat in these shorts then it takes it out of your mind and you can speak yeah and you can like separate it from yourself too in a certain way which allows you to be able to separate your thoughts from Mm -hmm. those thoughts which is hugely important yeah it gives you that space in between love it love it okay what is lighting you up lately oh The thing that I love your reaction to my O. Um, that is lighting me up lately, honestly, is that I finally feel like I am showing my full self to the world and that I feel confident in going after what I actually want to. Mm, love that. That's a huge gift. Like, so, so, so challenging to get to that place. Mm -hmm. So I love that you feel that in your bones. That's huge. Okay, last question. What does it mean to you to live your fuck yes life? To live my fuck yes life. It feels like feeling even when you're feeling fear or feeling afraid to continue through it and not let it hold you back from anything Mm. moving through the fear Mm -hmm. yeah you said take aligned action one time and I've held on to that so tightly it resonated so strongly with me so like Mm. feeling the fear and taking aligned action through it anyway I think that's something that we so you know the 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 I have such a bone to pick with the word fearless because it's impossible to be fearless and this idea that we eliminate fear from the equation in order mm-hmm. to be able to move is so problematic and it lit I mean you know firsthand but like it literally yeah. it goes against everything I teach it goes against yeah. everything that I believe in as a facilitator around fear like fear is my bitch And fear is the thing that, like, I work with my people on most. And it doesn't have to be this, like, nasty word that we have to eradicate, right? Or or even try to because it's actually this really beautiful thing if we can become friends with it and learn how to to acknowledge it, know where it's actually coming from, and move through Mm -hmm. it. And I love that. I love what you said of, like, how can we move through it? How can we, you know, take action through the fear instead of trying to move around it because – that's how we actually move in life. That's yeah. how we actually, you know, yeah. uh, a- I, allow ourselves to open into what we're meant for. Yeah. I love that you said that about fearless because it is, it, you're almost taught that, and I think that's what feeling the fear and pushing ahead anyway, is like you can still feel afraid the entire time. Yeah. And you, I do. You know? You yeah. know, I'm scared all the time. Like, I think people look at me and they're like, they're like, oh, you cannot. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm scared all the time. I just choose to – I just know when it's the right thing to actually move and when to say no. Mm-hmm. And I I choose to move with the fear, you know. It's become my little sidecar on my sidecar where it's, chill, it's always chilling there, you know. Like, I'm driving. Yeah. It's always chilling there, though. <laughs> ready to say hey you know maybe it's cause a speed bump here and there but like I'm 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 the one driving instead of the opposite you know I think yeah. most people have fear in the in the driving seat I love this analogy now but I think it's a lot so of good. people have fear in the driving seat and then they are chilling in this little sidecar of their life and they're just kind of letting fear steer the steer the wheel you know instead of the opposite around <laughs> 
<laughs> One more time for the people in the back. <laughs> oh, that's a great no. analogy. I need to like pat so myself. Good. So yeah, love it. Okay. Lastly, and obviously this is not really a question, as much as like we people want to connect with you, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you're going to be sharing more about your story publicly. I know you've started talking about it on your Instagram and stuff. So where can people find you and connect with you? And all this stuff will be in the show notes for everybody. Yes, on my Instagram, which is Kylie Mick. So K-Y-L-I-E-M-C on Instagram. And then I will have a website coming in a few months. Woo! Too. Look at you moving on up in the world. <laughs> I love it. Your Instagram is always so fun. And your rescue pup, Husky, is like just the sweetest ever. So you should all follow oh. Kylie, not just for all of the goods, but also because that. And you have also an incredible Etsy shop, which you should totally plug. Thanks. Yes. Okay. So during the pandemic in the summer, I started making crystal and it started as astrological stuff, but like crystal and natural, nature, natural, nature inspired home decor. So it's called Astral Muse. Yeah. And I also am making a custom macrame creation for two friends of mine who are getting married this year. Oh, cool. Oh. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll, the, one of those is behind you. Is, is that one of your <laughs> creations? <laughs> Check it out. So beautiful. But yeah, I'll link your I'll link your Etsy shop in the show notes too so that people can check it out. And if they want to snag something from there for sure, make sure you do. And thank you so much for just like – I feel like it is so important for people who are navigating similar things to feel like there's somebody who is sharing their story and being mm-hmm. a voice for the voiceless. I know you know what it's like to not feel like there's a voice and to feel alone in that. And it is – a really hard and courageous thing to share your story about something that is vulnerable and has changed your, the trajectory of your life. I know that firsthand. And I also know the joy that comes with that and the connection that can ensue and the, you know, feelings of fulfillment that come from it. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your story, for being willing to be vulnerable. And um, I know that it will help so many people in your in your situation feel less alone and also frankly just people understand this thing that is not talked about which is Mm -hmm. huge in and of itself so thank you for being here and thank you all for listening thank you and there you have it for everything we talked about in today's episode you can check it out at the show notes or at amandacatherineloy.com forward slash podcast forward slash one two seven And right now I got a lot on the docket coming up on my end, um, all around things ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. So if you would like to set up a one-on-one peer support session, you can do that in the link in my bio. Um, Or if you would like to join us for our first live Zoom community Q&A, it's going to be happening on May 13th. Um, So you can also sign up for that at the Eventbrite link in my bio as well. And until next week and next time, I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.